0: Hello and welcome to Glory B. Interesting people and how they pray.
1: Each week we chat with interesting people about their lives, their work, and how they pray. I'm Sharon Hannish,
0: and I'm Mike Malcolm.
1: Our guest today is Sister Christine E. Reiser, who entered the Benedictine Sisters of Saint Joseph Monastery here in Tulsa in 1984 and made perpetual vows in 1989. She graduated from Oral Roberts University in 1982 with a bachelor's degree in business administration and management and received her master's degree in management for nonprofit organizations from the University of Notre Dame in 1996. She served as prioress of St. Joseph Monastery here in Tulsa from 2007 until 2019. And recently returned from a much-deserved sabbatical. Sister Christine, we're so excited you're here. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. So uh, we read in your bio that you just returned. So the pandemic hit. Where were you? um, What were you
2: doing during that time? I was on sabbatical at the Jesuit School of Theology in Berkeley. And... um, Classes shut down to be just online, and I thought, well, I can sit in my apartment by myself online, or I could probably go home and do it online, because it was just going to be for a month.
1: Right. The pandemic was just going to be for a month. How long had you been there?
2: So I had been there um, a full semester and a little bit. We were just kind of getting underway second semester, so... Um, I I basically missed the last ten weeks of being being out there. Okay, well that stinks. <laughs> well, it was okay. You know, we finished classes online, uh, and our you know our sabbatical group would meet weekly online, and so so there was some sense of closure, uh, even though you know we weren't physically together.
1: So you just did did your order call you home like did they say you need to get on an airplane and come quickly
2: (laughs) kind of i was uh had a conversation with sister marie therese my prioress and uh we were just kind of talking about the pros and cons of staying in berkeley or coming home and i was really concerned that the airlines were going to shut down and um she said i think you probably ought to just get on the next plane Mm -hmm. (laughs) which i did
1: Yes, like all the rest of college students and exactly. all of our kids, kids came home, yes, so, yeah. so it was a weird what time. What
0: was life like at the monastery with you know, no students? Uh, I'm sure that semester closed right. without we, students.
2: We were, we were remote um, at Monte Casino, and the monastery was shut down, and yeah. employees came in, but no visitors, and... Um, Yeah, it was very. Which you know, one of our hallmarks is hospitality Mm -hmm. and welcoming people and having retreatants, and um, it was just very difficult, really. Because that's you know, it's a major part of our spirituality. So that was um, so learning to um, pray differently as a community for uh, people who were not able to come and wanting to or, or who needed uh, more spiritual support. So we really made uh, that an intention during that that lockdown time.
1: Wow. So you're, uh, for the people who are listening, you're a Benedictine sister here in Tulsa. Um, did you grow up here in Tulsa?
2: No, I grew up near St. Louis, a little town called Warrington. It's not so little anymore, but When I was growing up, it was just about thirty five hundred people.
1: And were you Catholic growing
2: up? I was Catholic growing up. My dad was Catholic. My mom was not.
1: Okay, because the reason I asked that is because you ended up at Oral Roberts University here in Tulsa. I
2: did indeed.
1: Um, Tell us about that.
2: So, um, a friend of mine in my high school, who graduated a year ahead of me, came to ORU. So, um, and my mom was um, she wasn't a big. Devotee of his, but she would watch his programs, and I would you know walk through the living room and see it. I was always impressed by the campus, um, so we came down uh, one summer, the summer before my senior year, and just drove around and visited and um, It just felt like that 's where I was supposed to be and if i hadn 't gone there i wouldn 't have come to tulsa and i wouldn 't have met the sisters and So it's, you know, all a part of of God's big tapestry that um, we don't see the big picture at the time, the whole thing.
1: Yeah, so how did that unfold? You're at Oral Roberts University. Is there a Catholic presence, or did you have to go?
2: There is not. There's not supposed to be, at least at that time when I was there, there was no denominational presence. You were expected on Sunday mornings to go to your own church. There was no service on campus. And so there was quite a group of us that at that time, we were kind of got shuffled back and forth between St. Bernard's and St. Mary's. We were just kind of, nobody knew what to do with us (laughs) from the the Catholic side. Um, But a number of professors were Catholic, which was kind of interesting. Um, And they would kind of meet with us regularly and make sure we were not having a crisis of faith or anything like that. So, yeah, so... um, I And I did a lot of church hopping as well during that time and um, thought I wanted to be Methodist for a while, and uh, that didn't work out. So, <laughs> you know, I filled out the little form, please call me, nobody called.
0: <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs>
1: you know. So how did you end up connecting with the sisters?
2: So I was... Um, So when I graduated from ORU, my my whole plan had kind of been to go back to Missouri and be with family and whatever, but at that time, the job market was not very good, and I had sent my resume out and not getting a lot of calls, but I had a definite offer here in Tulsa, and I thought, okay, I'll do this for a little while. And I got involved with my parish at that, um, which was Church of the Resurrection, and Got very involved there with music ministry and book studies and all of this kind of stuff. And um, had this revelation, kind of epiphany, that what I was doing at the parish on evenings and weekends was so much more rewarding to me than what I was getting paid to do. And I just felt like, you know what, this could be your life. You could do stuff like this all the time. So uh, I spoke with um, Father Jerry Coleman, who was kind of helping out at that time at Resurrection, and uh, he sent me to the diocese vocation office, which at that time one of our sisters uh, was the director of vocations. And so she, uh, I was working downtown. She came downtown and had lunch with me, and then very subtly invited me to dinner at, at the monastery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, um, I just knew that's where I was being invited. So, um, so that was, I was, so I graduated from ORU in 82 and I entered the monastery in 84. So it was not a real long time of, um, uh, just, I mean, I was kind of constantly discerning, but really it it didn't when when things kind of started to fall into place it did not take long before i i really knew that's that's where god was calling me
1: that's awesome
0: and then you served for 12 years as prioress that's a long time
2: it's a long time yeah um but it's it's um we just have such a good community of sisters mm-hmm. that it was not at all really burdensome i mean i think i burdened myself with things but um, you know, it was um, it's a uh, a great uh, way to grow in one's faith and in how one lives monastic life mm. because everybody's looking at you and like, yeah. how are you doing there? You you know, um, I remember we we had a group of kids from school come over and do a tour one day, and the sister was touring them and brought them by my office and. And they said, Oh, you don't have to ask permission from anybody and I'm like, Are you kidding? I have to ask everybody. <laughs> yeah.
1: So what is a prioress? You know, you hear mother superior, right. I mean, you right. know, the sound of music, mother superior are yeah. you a mother superior?
2: Well, so Saint Benedict's um idea about the abbot or abbess or priorus was to that this person is the spiritual leader of the community. So really my um, priority was assisting the sisters if they were having difficulty in their prayer life, if they were having some questions around ministry. Um, So those kinds of things really. And then then also making sure that um, we had regular prayer in the community. So um, having a regular schedule and making sure that um, people are Um, I don't want to say doing what they're supposed to do, but that they're involved appropriately in the spiritual life of the community and making progress in their own prayer. Now, that's Benedict's view. Then, um, like starting in the 19th and 20th century with canon law, we began having to be responsible as as a superior, as a prioress, also for the apostolic works of a community. So uh, our school, Montecasino, which is a corporate ministry of ours, uh, I was involved at a high level in leadership with the school, too, as well as then helping oversee um, kind of the temporal aspects of the community, uh, along with the sister who serves as treasurer. So...
1: So before you were prioress, you served as a treasurer. That's where we were kind of at Notre Dame together. That's you were right. there for several many summers getting that degree. Um, it's a very unique degree. Um, why did they send you to do that? And what What did you do with that?
2: So I. Had come to the community with a business degree and thought, well, that was a waste of time and money. I'm never going to need that. <laughs> and the sisters were like, oh, she has a degree in business.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Elect her prioress now. <laughs> Exciting. <laughs> so
2: I, my ministry was always, uh, somehow related to finance and administration, whether it was for Monica Casino or for the community, for the sisters. Um, and, uh, as I discerned about what next steps for me and our prioress at that time, Sister Jacinta Dorado, um, we looked at liturgy and we looked at business. And given the particular circumstances in the community at that time, it was like probably business would be the best thing. So I did five summers at Notre Dame working on this degree in nonprofit management and, um, was while I was working on that degree that I was appointed treasurer for the community and for the school. So um, one of the, the best things, uh, aspects, that uh, I really still carry with me from that, um, receiving that degree in that, that time of study was a class on mission-based budgeting. And that has really served me well. I think it served our communities well in terms of you should be able to take your budget and your um, your documents, so like your mission statement and uh, purpose statement, all those things, and they should match, um, one with numbers and one with words. And so that was something that I felt, um, and I, I did a graduate paper on that aspect of... of um, budgeting and and business um, for nonprofits. So that's super cool.
0: And the Benedictine order is huge. Is it the largest order in the world? It's one of the largest. largest. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's beautiful to see within that, that diversity, you know, of mission. Um, You know, Tulsa's St. Joseph monastery finds itself now uh, in the middle of the city. It may, may not have been that way Early on. We
2: were out of the city limits.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It was one of those pastoral countryside things.
2: Exactly. And
0: then the city very much grew up around it. Did that influence the um, founding or the the mission of the school?
2: Yeah, I think so. So the school was originally built at the request of Bishop Francis Kelly, not the school, but the bishop, Mm -hmm. the real person, (laughs) um, asked us to start a school. And as we... Uh, we're doing that, it kind of evolved from being um, an idea of a central Catholic girls' school to more of an elite girls' school. And so we had boarders for many years, and um, as that, the need for a boarding school went away we had the, the building that the monastery is now in, which w- had been the residence hall for the students. Uh. So we moved from Guthrie uh, to Tulsa, to uh, our headquarters moved. And then over time, you know, we had the high school. Uh, it was a girls' high school. The need for that diminished as um, Bishop Kelly became, you know, kind of the Catholic school in terms of, of, a, of a co-ed school so uh we closed our high school and focused on middle school because we really felt like that was uh really where our passion and energy was was early childhood through middle school and um the the um student body um is comprised of uh a much more diverse student body than uh, students and families than had we had had previously, like with the high school. And, you know, that's always a challenge, I think, in any private school is to work on diversity and inclusion and making sure you're reaching uh, as many people, drawing, you know, throwing as wide a net as you can mm-hmm. in uh, service of the mission and evangelization and, um, you know, Monte Cassino is not, uh, the student body is not majority Catholic, and we have families come into the church every year uh, because of the kids' exposure to Catholicism, um, especially the younger kids. And I remember one family, the, the kid went to the mom and said, you know, have I been baptized? And she's like, um, no, well, I need to be baptized. You know, yeah. what do you say to a child? It's yes. like, of course, we'll get you baptized. Right. So, um, so we really see a big part of our mission with the school as evangelization. I
1: love that.
0: Well, the famous phrase that we associate with Benedictines is aura et labora, work and prayer. And we've got some insight into your work life, but I'm also curious about your prayer life. So you, your background is rich you've been exposed to a lot of different prayer styles, whether it's, you know, based in the Catholic tradition or some evangelical tradition. Mm-hmm. How does that background influence how you pray today?
2: So I think, um, yeah, it's, it's a, a, probably a wider, uh, experience than, than even some of the sisters I live with. Um, and, uh, I want to say, so um, Benedictine Prayer, as you know, is based in scripture. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was back at ORU a few years ago uh, at a luncheon. and they invited a lot of people from the community, and, and a friend of a friend invited me to come with her. And So I was talking to a couple of ORU students and had the opportunity to just explain to them how based, as they would say, in the word our prayer is, as Benedictines, praying the Psalms at the Liturgy of the Hours and Lectio Divina with Scripture. Um, and, and I could tell these kids were very taken aback. They were just like, whoa, really? You know what a Bible is? <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, it's, um, it's kind of coming full circle in a way. Mm-hmm. So what do you do
1: each day? So I know you pray in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, how about your personal prayer? You know, do, do you do Lexio
2: every day? Do you, what, what? I try to do Lexio every day. So since, my, uh, since I'm home from my sabbatical, I have developed a practice of getting up early in the morning, which anybody who knows me will tell you I'm not a morning person, never have been. But I get up early to have an hour of prayer and a cup of coffee um, before our common prayer time. Um, which is at 6.30, so you can yes do the math. <laughs> yeah. um, God's not awake at that time. Uh, you know what, I have said that so often to <laughs> our sisters who could get up early, but, you know, I'm taking it for granted, God really is. God is up. So, um, so that hour, I spend the first 30 minutes or so um, reading, and sometimes that is a commentary that, uh, is going hand-in-hand hand with the scripture I'm praying with. Sometimes it's another spiritual book. Um, right now I've been um, trying to tackle a commentary by Raymond Brown on the Gospel of John, and he's winning. That's thick stuff. You know, yes. um, especially at 5 in the morning. Yes, what is I, this?
1: I heard Raymond Brown speak at Notre Dame. We I, were there. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So. Your homage to him, uh-huh. yes. yeah. but yeah. at
0: five a.m. that's not even a fair fight. No. I know, <laughs> no. I know.
2: So it's very, it's very slow going. So, um, and then the, the second thirty minutes is my prayer time, my conversation with God, and um, often using the scripture. So my scripture right now is the the prologue to John's gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And, you know, what does that really mean? And, and sitting and, and just asking God, what what does that mean? What are you saying to me and to us in that mysterious passage? Um, and and then often I will, uh, you know, get distracted Uh, And I've discovered, I think for myself, there are two kinds of distractions. One is immediate, like, don't forget to do that thing later today. So I keep a little pad of paper there and write it down so that I don't keep going back to that. Otherwise, it's like a sore tooth. You just keep going back to it. The other kind of distractions are things that I need to pray with, like, I can't believe she said that to me. (laughs) what was she thinking okay maybe i should pray for her you know because it's not just about me right it's about the relationship and whether it's somebody in community or somebody i'm working with or you know one day i had a gal a gal a woman uh start ranting at me in the light bulb aisle at walmart you know (laughs) so i try to pray for those people and for myself what is my response how do i respond when somebody is you know says something that feels like they're stepping on my toe or um, so that's that's kind of the the second part and then i try to close that prayer time with you know god what do you want me to do today and i have a little whiteboard on the back of my bedroom door and i change thing quotes on there every once in a while, but right now I have a question to myself, which is, whose feet will I wash today? And um, and that's always, I think, a good thing, is I'm, after so after I pray and I'm dressed and ready to go downstairs, that's what I see as I'm leaving the room. It's like, okay, that's probably a good thing to take to community prayer, because that's the people that I need to, whose feet I need to wash
0: Sometimes we have this image, of sisters, our perfect prayer life. You've been at it, you're a professional prayer, you're a professional Catholic, but you're a human being. Exactly. Has there, has there ever been a time where it was difficult to pray?
2: Yeah. Um, so for a while while I was prioress, um, so I was the primary caregiver for my mom, and um, the last 14 months of her life, she lived at the monastery in our health care center, which is a wonderful blessing uh, for me to not have to be running out somewhere to check on her all the time. Um, but it really, um, so the time I would spend with her had kind of previously been my time for my own prayer. So that really got um, squashed <laughs> And sometimes eliminated. Yeah. And then, so time was one factor. And then the other factor is, I don't think I even know how to pray with all of this that's going on. Mm-hmm. With the sisters, with myself, with my mom. Um, and in her declining health and her declining few months. Um, I just, it, I... I would try to pray and it was just very difficult. I just felt like I couldn't get any traction yeah. to get anywhere. Um and it was at that time really um I really tried to focus on our community prayer and I've had um so I, I there's a sister in our community who frequently will say, you know that um in community prayer we um we we carry each other especially when someone is going through a period where they can't pray, they can rely on the community to carry them. And really, that should be true in any praying community, whether it's a parish or a prayer group or, or a religious community, that we can rely on one another's prayer to carry us through those times when it's difficult or we just can't pray, or there's no time, we feel like there's no time to pray. Um, and one, there's a, I can't remember which saint said this, that... You know, our intention to pray is itself prayer. Like I think Thomas Merton. Merton, yeah, yeah, that sounds, sounds good. We'll take Merton. Yeah. So.
0: Not a bad guy to quote. Exactly. Well, if you could invite the entire world to join you for a single prayer intention, in fact, we can pray for it right now, what would that prayer intention be?
2: You know, this This will sound kind of trite, but truly peace And I'm thinking about, you know, we're receiving the Afghan refugees now. And, um, you know, peace in our country, peace uh, in each country, uh, especially the Middle East, I think, that whole area. Um, There's just uh, so much turmoil in people's lives and in our um, international political situation that I think, you know the the idea that you know we have peace in our heart, there'll be peace in the world, but you know, and I think families, as you all know, have uh, ups and downs with with peace. Um, so I just I just think that that um, you know, "Pox" is another Benedictine motto. So um, yeah, I think just that whole. Um, aura of peace throughout the world yeah
0: beautiful well would you lead us in a glory be
2: i'll do my best <laughs> <laughs> glory be to the father and the son and the holy spirit as, as it, it was, was in the beginning is, is now, now and, ever and ever shall be, be world without end, end. amen, amen.
0: Glory B is a production of the Office of Communications at the Church of St. Mary. Come back next week and we'll have even more. I'm your producer, Mike Malcolm. Take care.